Okay, so I'm back with episode 22 featuring good friend Leif Sorensen. I've split this episode into two parts for you. We start by talking about a brand that I don't normally talk a lot about, but with some exciting new product on the way, Leif and I chat about the Kia Stinger that took the auto show circuit by storm this year. Next on our list, we get into what is an inevitably recurring topic on the show, autonomy. We talk about its effect on driving, and that's around the 16-minute mark. We weren't really expecting to talk about it for this whole period of time, uh, but I do love getting everyone's perspective on it. At around 28 minutes, we get deep into the wagon and sport back hole. Uh, then we move on to talk about the biggest misconceptions the public have about dealers and behind the scenes with a dealer like Leaf. There's some really good insight there, and it sheds a positive light on how great dealers approach their business. I love having these conversations with people as passionate as Leaf and really enjoyed the conversation. As usual, I hope that you did too. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne, and this is the Bucket Seat Podcast. That's probably pretty boring in your time. Yeah, and then yeah. we come back with them. So. Okay, cool. Um, okay, so... Welcome to episode 22 of the Bucket Seat Podcast. Tonight, I have my first repeat guest of the show, Mr. Leif Sorensen. So Leif, thank you again for being here. Thanks for having me. This is always fun. Yeah, it's great. So uh, for those of you that listened to episode four, yes, episode four, so ages ago, I spoke to Leif about the steps that he took to start his own dealership here in Toronto. So we got a really good numbers on that show and especially for so early on. So clearly that was interesting and I love the idea of being able to have you back to be able to talk about something like that with me. Um, so for tonight, we're changing it up a bit, um, which I like to be able to do. And because it's my show, I can do that. Um, I have a bunch of questions for Leaf about his brand. Um, then we're going to do our own spring themed $15,000 used car challenge. Um, so I have everything lined up on that laptop for you, Leaf. So all of the pages and tabs are all preloaded and we are going to do $15,000 used car battle tonight. Um, so hold on to your folks, hold on to your folks, hold on to your hats, folks. Um, (laughs) it's going to be a wild one. Um, before we get into it, um, I wanted to talk about something that's clearly near and dear to Leaf's heart, which is, um, the Kia brand and your store and kind of what you're up to these days. Um, and Kia made waves recently around the globe with the introduction of their new, it wasn't even a concept, it was really, I mean, it was a production-ready model, which was the Stinger. So, I mean, as much as you can tell me and tell us to everybody that's listening about the Stinger, to me, um, one of the more exciting cars that was released this year from, you know, frankly, a brand that I didn't expect that car to be coming from. So, uh, with that kind of interest in mind and knowing the people listening are probably in that kind of, uh, I guess, level of appreciation for vehicles of that nature, tell us as much as you can. It's a super exciting car. Uh, I'll tell you as a Kia dealer, uh, uh, many of us come from automotive backgrounds like myself. You have a passion for the car business. There's one thing I like about Kia. There's a German guy, Peter Schreier, did the Volkswagen Audi right. thing for a long time. And he's now brought that design philosophy to Kia. Mm-hmm. I've always just thought they make really nice looking vehicles. And the the 2018 Kia Stinger is, uh, is, is stunning, a beautiful car. And there is a bit of a history behind it. There is concepts. But nothing like what you're seeing right now. Crazy. The concept, first concept was a two-seat uh, roadster kind of sports coupe uh, type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one was a 
four door uh com like a, a very compact call it four door sports car uh, following that, everyone thought there might be another iteration of it. Kia talked about green lighting this car in all the dealer meetings that I had gone to. And, uh, I, you know, I kept thinking like, oh man, I, I hope they don't build a compact two seat coupe because those cars don't really sell in doves. I love them. Yeah, Real right. drive yeah. two seat coupes uh-huh. are fantastic. But it's as a, a Kia sell. dealer looking to sell volume, that's not what I'm really looking for. Mm-hmm. And when they, when they finally decided to put this down into, into construction and, and, and make it an applicable car, uh, it turned out to be something somewhere between an Audi A7 and a Kia Optima. And I right. say Audi A7 because it's a, Peter Schreier had a little bit of a hand in the inspiration of that car before. Uh, you can certainly see that, yeah. And the Stinger, uh, the Stinger brings in a host of new technologies. Um, there's a new twin turbo V6 that's coming out 365 horsepower. Jeez, I had no clue. Comes in rear wheel drive or all wheel drive. Uh, wow. as, as I understand, there's also a two liter turbocharged four cylinder that will put out 300 horsepower, 290 approximately. Uh, and that'll also come in rear wheel drive or all wheel drive. That's as, bonkers. As a, as a Canadian who's previously sold BMWs, I, <laughs> I realize rear-wheel drive does not sell well up here. So the addition of Kia's first all-wheel drive sedan, you yeah. can call it a sedan, maybe a sport hatch sedan or yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah. But uh, it's very exciting for us. So, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're quite excited about uh, what this model will bring to the lineup. I watched some of the um, winter test training that they did in uh, a place I can't pronounce in Scandinavia, uh, and uh, it, it looked phenomenal. You know, the exhaust note sounds nice. I actually was one of the, at the de- dealer night at the auto show, I sat in the car, I felt it a little bit. Uh, you know, interesting car, really, it's a, it's a little different layout. Uh, they try to make a little bit more luxurious dash layout. and. I think it's going to be a good seller for Kia, and if anything, it's what we all wanted is a halo car, that right. one that brings people to the showroom. And do you think that? Um, and you can, you know, you can choose not to answer the question if you if you want. Um, do you think that there was any influence coming from the kind of the evolution of Hyundai to Genesis, Genesis into that very kind of luxury sedan world? Do you think that any of that kind of played into um, into the the Stinger, or do you th- it, or is that kind of a project all to its own in terms of Kia's world? Kia, Kia and Hyundai, although they seem like they're going in a very similar direction, they do have two different identities. Hyundai being the uh, luxury uh, and and now separating the Genesis brand and the high end mm-hmm. luxury version of of, uh, of of the of a Hyundai. Uh, they're also going to have um, what I understand is is an N line in Hyundai, which is a high performance like a BMW M oh, no division kidding. or a Mercedes AMG division. Wow, uh, I've I've only seen so far them working on a small pocket hatch and testing. It looks like a pretty awesome, very aggressive uh, fascia car. Hmm. So the Stinger, um, to what I remember being told, is based off of there's two Genesis sedans, the G80 and the G90. The G80 is a little smaller, and it's based off the same architecture underpinnings as that is. Hmm. If you looked at the two cars, you would you could they could be as different as a Chevy Impala and a you know a Toyota Avalon. But right. uh, you know under underneath the the skin, they have a lot of shared components, and uh, likely the the twin turbo V6 that's uh, coming is something that you'll see in some Genesis cars as well too. So. That's so cool. Fuck, wow. I mean, I, I, I honestly didn't know just how much was being offered in that car, especially between like the engine choices and the fact that you could go rear wheel to all wheel drive. That's 
it's exciting. I mean, I, I've, I haven't seen any volume numbers. I mean, I think we both know uh, that sedan segment is, is, a, is a difficult one um, on a good day in Canada uh, and in the U.S. as well. Um, but I think that, you know, given the right offering, there's really an opportunity there. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I certainly think that there will be a challenge to one of the products on my side that I know I, I will hold near and dear to my heart with Legacy and the Legacy sedan uh, when it comes to that all-wheel drive offering. So um, good luck to you, sir. And I hope that it does well for your own sake. Uh, and I actually can't wait to drive one. Um, you said the exhaust note sounded really good. That's something that I just I can't get away from as one of the most thing one of the things that I appreciate the most when it comes to cars and driving cars is that uh, that audio experience. And so um, with it, you've not had a chance to drive one yet. No. Okay, but you there is there is there test videos that I could maybe find on YouTube. Yes. Okay. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of test let's call them pilots, uh, mm. drifting these things around in the snow and you can hear the engines basically tapping out at the top. Uh, and I hope that's not pre-production, but as I understand, those are production cars, uh, what Kia right. calls P1, which means the very earliest production, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no changes other than engineering, uh, you know, things that they find in engineering they want to fix. But um, exhaust nuts are one of those things. I think it's like the, it's it's one of the, the least utilized tools in an automotive <laughs> manufacturer's I- bag. Couldn't agree more. Well, I I couldn't agree more selfishly because we have horizontally opposed four and six cylinder engines that sound absolutely incredible. Um, but I, in so many cases, you know, I, I think that um, yeah, I, I think that it just gets overlooked, and I don't I don't understand why because you and I find it so important and so fascinating, and I think that there are so many others out there that also find it so interesting and fascinating. But in a daily driving world, I think where it all falls down is when people are on the highway and if they hear any kind of drone or anything that is a long sustained noise, they feel like that shouldn't be there. Um, But there are a lot of manufacturers that have figured out a way to kind of mitigate that when if you want the loud, you can push the loud button. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I know that obviously adds cost and and development and all of those things that nobody really wants to put money into. But at the same time, I mean, fuck, it's an option. I'd love for more manufacturers to exercise that. You know, um, when I was with BMW, BMW engineers these little baffles in all their exhaust manifold ports and, and, and the, the entire exhaust system and exhaust note is, is refined. You have to have a good sounding engine. We all know what a good sounding, like the, uh, E92 M3s, where it's pretty much like, uh, you know, the, the, the best soundtrack an engine, an automotive engine right. could give you. They didn't even need to, they could have just muffled the whole exhaust in that car would have sounded great. <laughs> uh, you know, other, other cars, they don't have the, the beauty of that, but you can completely replicate it now with, with baffles, which is a very inexpensive way to engineer your muffler and, and your, your, uh, you know, emission valves and all that sort of stuff that goes through there that, uh, it gives you a nice sound like manufacturers, Ford Mustangs, they were piping, uh, had a pipe going from the exhaust to the, the floor cavity that would reverberate right. the noise. Yeah. The BMW M5 plays exhaust noises through the speakers. So right. yeah, there's a whole spectrum of ways people do that, but right. you know, and some, I'm, some, I'm not so supportive of when they are, uh, when they are engineered sounds that are being piped through, um, like that whole, also like, I think it was the sound symposer or whatever it was called. I don't know if that was in the Ford product or what it was, but 
when I found out that it wasn't actually the sound of your exhaust and it was legitimately an audio file that was being played at certain different RPM levels, that totally ruined it for me. And I'm like, as much as I love the sound of that, as soon as I found that out, uh, I mean, it's like the equivalent of your partner faking an orgasm. I don't want, I, you know, I, I want to know that that is real and as filthy of a reference as that is. Yeah. Uh, it really was. It ruined it for me. I was like, what are you, t- Santa's not real? They like, fuck you guys. I yeah. want to hear the real exhaust note. And so with that, like as, as I started hearing more and more manufacturers starting to do that, I started to hear more and more of them being called out for, you know, engineering the sound. I would just rather, like you said, like they pipe in the actual, like both induction and exhaust note, go right into the cabin. Great. Give me more of that and don't let everybody else hear it. Yeah. That's fine too. Put a valve so it shuts off on the highway. I mean, I've done some questionable things to my exhaust systems in the past to get the sound that I wanted out of them. And I won't say them on air here because I'll be judged heavily for it. Yeah. But pass, there are... all pass the drive to there, the <laughs> there are There are some really easy ways to get some amazing backfires and burbles and blips when you're driving in a spirited fashion. So it's, it's one of those things, it, like it feels like a cop out of doing the real thing. Kind of like putting really? yeah. fake hood vents in or one of my biggest pet peeves <laughs> in the car business is, you know, putting a beautiful exhaust tip built into the fascia and you just have a straight one and a half inch rough aluminum pipe that barely meets up to it they're not even welded together it's just somehow floating in the middle and it's the same it's the exact same principle when it comes to um you know quarter panel vents that are supposed to be inducting air into cool brakes but there's actually no way for air to be inducted and that's just it's super sad for me when i start to see that and i mean uh, I guess I should be careful. I don't think we do it, um, but I, I think that there are a lot of manufacturers who will do that, as well as like even on like the hood scoop idea of like there is no actual air coming in, but they've gone to the trouble of actually cutting out and putting in some sort of plastic cladding that looks like it's honeycombed, but it doesn't let any air in. Like, why would you just let more air in? It's just going to help everything. Anyways. Okay. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't expecting for us to go on the rant, but it's, it's one that I'm passionate about. And I think you are too. <laughs> yeah, that some, someone in an automotive company somewhere needs to hear that over again. So. I, yeah. I think a lot of people need to hear that over and over again, because there are enough of us that appreciate it. Well, I say enough of us, sadly, I don't think there are enough of us, but I hope that there will be more of us that appreciate it because there is a lot to that sound. Um, it's also one of those reasons why I have a really, really hard time loving a Tesla. I love, I love so much about a Tesla, but when that sound is now absent, I really, really struggle to, to find that deep love for the car. I love the fact that it goes fast. I love that it's powerful. I love that it's beautiful. I love that it has all the technology that I could really want, but without the sound there's just one thing that's just missing and i i think i'm gonna have to get used to it because more and more into the future we're gonna we're gonna see that i think but anyways i won't dwell you, on you, that you quite possibly in 10 years won't have a car that makes a sound oh, it's fucking awful it is going to evolve too and i think what is it? it was an episode uh 20 must have been 20 or 21 i can't remember uh when i had jeff charles on and we were talking about insurance uh, and ensuring the future of autonomous vehicles and kind of what the insurance industry is looking at from an industry that looks at things 10 plus years out on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. I figured he must have a really good idea of how they're going to handle autonomous cars and autonomous driving. So then we talk about electrification. We talk about how um, the autonomous industry is going to kind of um, kind of spread and make its way through um, the automotive industry. 
and we did stop and um, we did stop and talk on a couple of interesting topics that uh, are probably worth listening to when it gets to that. Uh, so go back and listen to that episode, please. But for the sake of this one and this discussion, um, I thought that we would probably end up seeing the driving that we like to experience kind of relegated to a weekend going out and playing golf is that you have to go to a country club to drive your car, drive your car that's fueled with actual gas. Um, and you're allowed to make the noise that you make when you're out on a track. But beyond that, that world and that experience, we might not be able to, to do it on the highways that are around us here. And I know in places like in the UK, it's already difficult enough and all of the restrictions that are put on um, emissions are really hindering a lot of vehicle ownership in the first place. But I think, you know, in North America, Canada and the US, we will see a lot of great driving experiences end up in very private, um, I guess, in private facilities. So speculation, but if you're an investor listening, that's probably a good place to look. Definitely. <laughs> it's scary. It's scary because, I mean, at the end, at the end of the day, like I, myself personally, I see once autonomous driving hits and 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 the luxury let's call it that of being able to sit in your car uh you know surf surf the wi-fi that your car is putting out mm -hmm. you know maybe maybe watch uh the cp24 newsreel of what's happening on your way into work or finish a couple emails off you know there's i think i think that this the the ease and the benefit of that is going to be one of those things like uh that that hits the car industry hard and, and the transition from from driven cars to driverless cars can be very quick especially because you start looking at like the, the 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 level of crashes that you're getting out of people out of out of cars it's all like you drive in traffic it's all human errors all the inefficiencies absolutely you see. Um, you know I I got to think that a computer driving the entire traffic network of Toronto has probably got to be better to minimize the one-offs than the rest of it absolutely you know? uh, barring an iRobot situation I think we're all good <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And I mean, I hope that I hope that people find the episode I did with uh, with Jeff interesting because we touch on that, too. And it's like, what's the line that's drawn when it comes to autonomy and how uh, the pilot of said autonomous car is held responsible for the decisions that are made while you are uh, technically behind the wheel? And maybe there won't be a wheel someday. And I think maybe the wheel itself and um, human interaction will probably be removed from the equation. But. Uh, as that evolves, how does your role in the car as someone who could actually um, interject into a, into an, in, an instance where maybe you had to make a decision, um, how how that situation is handled um, ethically and morally when you had to choose between uh, on the left hand side, family of four on the right hand side, uh, family of two, yeah. you have to choose one. And at this point, if I'm not driving, the car is going to make the decision. How does that then roll into the, I guess, the, um, the repercussions of that driving experience? And I mean, it's, it's a big, it's a big conversation. Um, and I don't expect us to have to necessarily get into it, but it's one that, uh, is, is going to be recurring on a regular basis. And I, I just, Okay. I, you know, it's going to keep coming up on this show. I, I think everybody that comes in here is probably going to want to talk about it because we're not going to be able to avoid it. Um, so maybe I should just go with it. But <laughs> it's it's a um, it, it it's, an a it's an inevitability. And 
I'm not sure I love the way that it goes, but at the same point, I, I know that I have to kind of expect it. And sorry, I just had to try to scramble to turn off my furnace uh, because it has such an interruption on that entire part that I was just talking. But anyways, we'll keep going. Um, it's, it's interesting. I'd hate to be that that coder coding how this car merges into traffic and you write your coding wrong. Next thing you know, 100,000 of Brand X's compact cars are killing one in five people. Well, totally. Uh, you know, because when it's a computer program, it's an intended to happen or there's a mistake there because there's still some human you know, intervention into it. It's not AI programming these cars. Right. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of unclear stuff. And, and, you know, as, as I think everything gets sorted out more and more by, by regulatory bodies and things like that, there's a lot of this is going to become clear. And probably as it becomes clear, we're going to have even more feedback about it because everyone likes to have an opinion about what people decide right. on things. So. And there's, and there'll be more data. That's the thing is that I, you know, I, I do support it in the fact that um, there is a tremendous amount of data being collected every single second, every millisecond that those Tesla cars are on the road. I say Tesla because that is realistically, that is really the test case. And mm -hmm. he is beta testing an entire manufacturing system. Um, and he's hinging his entire success on what's happening in this world. Beside, I mean, obviously he's making good quality products. I mean, I think there are some you know pros and cons to them, but... Um, the testing and the data that he's collecting as a result of all of this is, I mean, staggering. And he's already, excuse me, he's, he's already, as I belch into the microphone, he's already proven that his cars are safer than having, in the most case, when they're in their, um, you know, auto, uh, shit, is it uh, autopilot? Autopilot, um, yeah. Yeah, autopilot. Um, that there are far fewer crashes. And if that can be the case where they're saving more lives um, and there are fewer dangers on the road because of um, a less than alert pilot in a car driving it while they shouldn't be um, amazing. I think that the the way that, that 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 will probably evolve and when it turns into that same level of autonomy making its way into the commercial fleets, again, something I talk about with Jeff on the on the episode is is probably where we'll see the biggest benefit. Um, and when you look at the, if we could make an entire commercial fleet of transport trucks autonomous, give them their own lane, mm -hmm. um, like the HOV lanes, uh, make those completely autonomously driven trucks. Maybe they don't even have, you know, they don't have the same um, composition that the trucks do today. That would allow us probably for fewer accidents, better traffic flow. And, you know, I mean, I know that it would kill a lot of jobs and there's a lot of unhappy people that would be a part of that. But it's also, I think, a necessary evolution. Maybe that's the right step to autonomy, in my opinion, versus um, the, uh, you know, like publicly available vehicles now that we see in Tesla. I love that they can be autonomously driven. But at the same point, uh, at the same point, you know, you have an autonomous car making decisions in a sea of humans making decisions. And I think that that's probably a challenge for uh, the, it's a big challenge for the computer driving the uh, autonomous car and the people that are so unpredictable to a certain extent in their vehicles, piloting those around it uh, ends up being, I mean, an amazing test case, but at the same point, a kind of scary one at the same time. In the, in, in, the, in the dealer body, we, I mean, a lot of, a lot of uh, industry articles are starting to be written about ownership. What is the future of vehicle ownership? 
And then, you know, you start to think about, okay, well, where, where does ownership leave us? Well, what about insurance? Because as, as, as I think anyone can clearly see, you don't even need it to be proven. I mean, human error is the problem with traffic and efficiency for the most part. We have to spend hundreds of, let's call it even tens of billions of dollars. Actually, I, I probably have no idea, but a pile of money <laughs> yeah, in North America alone just to create all this traffic infrastructure that cars can drive on. Now, if you, you, you streamlined and, and made a very efficient, uh, you know, basically computers driving cars, I got to think it's got to get better. Yeah. And I got to think that if I'm going to be that one, you know, guy who decides that I'm going to drive my 1970, you know, Wagoneer through all this traffic <laughs> and I probably am going to have a higher insurance rating. And I'm, you know, to my original point, I think that once, once autonomy is here, it's going to be a very quick transition because all of a sudden insurance is going to say, driver driven cars crash more than driverless cars and all of a sudden insurance is going to really start to motivate people into these cars because i mean even if it's even if there's like minor bumps and things like that uh, you're you're not going to have people aren't going to care about them as much when they don't drive them they're not going to have that identity feel to the vehicle they're driving it's just gonna be transportation they don't even own it you're just hailing an uber totally. someone comes around the corner and that's the that's the scary part. There's we're always going to have transportation. That's mm -hmm. uh, that's that's something that's in a cornerstone of society and how we grew. W where transportation is evolving, it's uh, you know it's anyone's guess, but it's it's happening very quickly. Yeah, and I I, I couldn't agree more. And like you said, I mean, it, it it truly is one of the cornerstones of civilization, and we're not going to go without it. It is going to evolve, um, and I think that scary part for us as lovers of cars and enthusiasts of just you know generally what the industry is bringing to us right now we're seeing a bit of a golden era i think right now mm -hmm. just before autonomy really becomes um massively prevalent and uh i i hate the idea that so many people treat transportation as an appliance but i understand it and i respect it and if more and more people don't want the responsibility of being behind the wheel and they want to be more productive um, in their day, then they can be more productive in a day when they don't have to drive and they don't have to worry about going from point A to point B other than literally being a passenger to be transported from that. Um, but there's something lost in the experience and the um, responsibility that comes along with driving a vehicle to me. And that's probably an old thing. It's an old era. And, you know, people will probably laugh at that expression in a few totally. years even. But at the same point, I want to hang on to that. And that's why I love it. That's why I do this podcast. That's why, you know, I'm doing what I do in my career every day is because I genuinely love that whole experience. And I think that um, it won't ever be lost, but it, I think it will uh, it will slowly dwindle in terms of its popularity. So. I feel, I feel like I feel like my my next year's worth of nightmares is going to be the when I finally own my Koenigsegg Ajera R one one, <laughs> I get onto a freeway and it's full of autonomous cars that are blocking the road. Right, and you're like, okay, so now where do I go? What hell did I land in? <laughs> um, okay, so before we get there, before you own that Koenigsegg, Koenigsegg, you've got to sell a few more Kias, um, and um, March marked the best ever month for Forte and Sportage in Canada. Um, and that segment is super hot. It must be gold for you. So for you here in Toronto, are you selling a lot of those cars? We're in, we're in 
the West End, West Toronto Kia, North yeah. of High Park, St. Clair Avenue. So we, we see a bit of a different demographic than you see at other stores. However, um, for us, yeah, we, 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 we have been the beneficiary of some very strong programs from Kia. Uh, we're, we're also, I mean, the, the Forte is an interesting one because they just finished a factory in Mexico. They've now cut mm-hmm. a lot of their costs in shipping that car from Korea to North America. Oh, and, okay. uh, it's, it's a brand new plant, the new Elantra and Forte built out of there. And they're, they're building a really good car. Uh, and not only that, they've, they've put some good programs behind it. Kia is getting into their lease game. We have some really strong three and four year leasing, which I always really like leasing. I'm sure you could probably do a whole episode on whether to lease or finance. And, oh my God. You know, yeah. I, I could probably strongly debate either side, but like, you know, yeah, likewise, yeah. In, in the end, I feel like the more that people get into cell phones and, you know, upgrading them every two years that they're just kidding themselves and they take a seven year payment and want to keep the car for two and a half years. I couldn't agree uh, more. It's yeah. not a, not a great situation, but we are definitely seeing the the age of, of of leasing which you know going into autonomous cars and not owning them leasing is perhaps the first step uh we're seeing we're seeing some strength in that in certain areas and you know a lot of brands are into it toyota and honda have built their brand off that uh but the uh you know another car line like the kia sportage strong in leasing still because mm-hmm. kia's got a focus on that but uh, i think it's selling just because you know well well packaged product and uh this you know the compact suv market is is a funny one right now especially in toronto i suppose outside in rural areas you might have large suvs or suvs of any type selling well anywhere uh but there there seems to be an exodus of of families going from the the traditional american sedan and driving around cars with four doors and a trunk to mm-hmm. you know what what guys like us have been saying for ages thinking like <laughs> yeah. why don't you at least put a hatch on that or a wagon on that and you'd totally. be way better off yeah yeah, yeah. uh you know there would, i think the kia optima uh you know no matter how much other car lines are up there there is some cannibal cannibalism in in uh, where they're cannibalizing the another market of cars uh the sportage and the sorrento has been doing really well for us as well too uh both of those are benefiting fitting from a, a record number of, of regular car buyers moving into the SUV market. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of data and maybe speculation around that, but uh, we're certainly seeing the, the, the age of the SUV. People are buying, again, you know, it's, as we care less about our cars, we're buying more for function than we are for we like the look of that car or right. uh, you know, the utility of the sport utility. Yeah, so what's coming in? Well, they look pretty, I mean, some of these things start to look pretty good now too. Like, I mean, compact compact sport utilities. If you remember an early Kia Sportage, um, you know they weren't exactly good looking. People bought them because they were a smoking deal and great, you know, value for the money. Uh, but you know, compact SUVs these days, like they look really good. Yeah, uh, like the the Porsche Macan, like you know, oh kind of does God, something yeah. weird in my stomach every time I look at a Macan GTS. Like I just really like those things. They look good. Agreed. And I I, I really didn't want to love it. It's just like the even like the Panamera. I didn't want to love the Panamera. And in the first generation, it took me. I wanted to barf when I saw it I didn't love it and then I looked at it again like another two years later I'm like I kind of I kind of like it and now when I see it especially with the new one I mean I fucking love it yes. anyway so that evolution I think the way that our tastes have evolved um, and the way that the market influences those tastes you know mm-hmm. it's clearly driven by a lot of the manufacturers in terms of what they support and you see that across the board too. There is a lot less sedan advertising in general when it comes to what's happening, especially in Canada. And in the US, you're seeing it too. There's a massive decline in the in the sedan segment. Um, and it's all attributed to the you know health and the growth of this SUV, CUV. Um, and even like, I mean, I know there's now a bit of a... Um, I guess there's a, there's a bit of a, a trend to now even looking at what... 
uh, sedan can turn into SUV as. And I, I think that's where we're talking about what's the future of the sedan. Well, I think the future of the sedan is elongating the sedan. Elongate the sedan and call it a wagon sold. Everybody's happy, you know. Keep a few sedans in your stable, but this the 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 sedan elongated into that wagon is where I think there is a lot of success. Makes them all look good. Kia actually has a good selling variant of the Optima. It's called a Sportback. They sell it in Europe. It's a wagon. It's a wagon Optima, and it's stunningly gorgeous. They won. um, There's a there's a there's an award thing that's given out by this this organization called Red Dot, and they give away uh, good design units. And and uh, the the Optima Sport Wagon this year was a recipient of that, and you know probably a testament. Like the Kia Sportage, funneling back to that again. If you look at it in stats, it's not the most powerful in its segment. Mm -hmm. It's not the best fuel efficiency in segment. It's not the safest, although they're all very, very safe. Mm-hmm. It looks good. Uh, you know, I, I say it does. I like it does. I, I admit that. Yeah. You 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 can uh, if you go on the internet and you look around it. There's a lot of people. You can tell when they make a good looking car. All of a sudden, there's these side by side photos that start to appear in Google image right. searches, and right. uh, it's it's this against another car, and they start looking at similarities. And you know, one of the things that. Uh, one of the things that a good car manufacturer always does well is, you know, you, you have to build an appealing car, something that looks good. And, you know, if you look at every good selling car along the way, uh, you know, no one ever designed a Pontiac Aztec and sold hundreds <laughs> of thousands of them. It, it, Which it surprisingly has had a weird resurgence, but that's all because of Breaking Bad. Yeah, Breaking Bad and <laughs> millennials thinking it's cool to drive something so, oh so ugly God. it's not cool. Right? That's fucking crazy. And. It may have actually been the early nod to that weird sportback SUV. I hate saying that. It was. It was, what is it? It was the BMW Grand. They did the X6, which was like the real no, sportback. No, but the before, Grand... before the X6, it was the, oh my God, why am I forgetting the name of this? Uh, before the X6 existed, what was the, what was that elongated sportback that they had, which was, oh my God. I want to say it was their, why am I thinking that it was their Gran Turismo, but it's not. It was like their, anyways. They've, they've had they've had a lot of, BMW is one of those funny companies that's had a lot of uh, really interesting kind of kind of models. And, and a lot of them, some of them very limited as well too. But, uh, you know, the, 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 I think a lot of people have played with that hatchback look. And yeah, I, been I just, kind of trying to make it work. And it's funny because in Canada, we, we've loved hatchbacks. Yeah, uh, Canada have. actually would, would probably be more hatchback. Okay, so we're back. Uh, had a little technical issue there, but um, okay, so we're going to move away from the BMW conversation, and we're going to move into uh, a question that um, that you know both Josh and I had kind of had when it came to what some of the biggest misconceptions about car dealers are today, and what the public might assume um, in terms of the way you operate or the way you don't operate. Uh, what would you say is like kind of one of those big kind of misconceptions? Right. You know, the, the whole vehicle purchasing process is, is something I think is quite unclear to most people. And um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of pressure built up on buyers to get a good deal. And, you know, they hear these terrible stories because we've had a bad reputation for years and years. Yeah. And when it comes down to it, you know, people aren't looking to be sold to anymore. It's not like the 70s where you don't have the Internet to help you research a car or anything like that. People come in yeah. and pretty much they know what they want uh, ahead of time. They, they, they know what they've been thinking of and what would fit their family. So, 
you know, we, we, I don't know that there's really a great way to combat that other than we just try to help people along the way. And uh, all our salespeople, one of the biggest changes that I've found is effective is I've never understood why a salesperson would be paid a commission on the profit of a vehicle. That should be, that shouldn't be something they're concerned with whatsoever. It's in my opinion, it's the manager's uh, prerogative as to what inventory is rare to him and what invent or her yeah. and what inventory that if, if they can't replace it, that they should be asking a fair price for it and all that sort of stuff. And that's the manager's job. I think the salesperson should be sitting with the customer. They should be helping them discover whatever our product does and whatever they'd like to know about it and, you know, feel, touch, experience and decide if it's for them. And right. I mean, I, I, I always, I've always had a philosophy that I like to work with brands that I, I felt had good product. It'd be really tough to sell something you don't believe in. We all absolutely that. yeah and uh, at the end of the day i you know we 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 uh, a lot of my salespeople have found it really reassuring because they get a lot of feedback from customers and 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 you know if someone comes in they shop for a car they go through it we don't try to lock them in the dealership and make them buy the car i'd rather yeah. them go home think about it and if, if it was really right to buy from us they come back to us and that's the kind of buyer that we want and you know in my experience i've found that you actually can get the lion's share of buyers this 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 practice is starting to actually get some traction in the market and people don't want to buy from someone that's telling them what to buy they want to hear what they like and make a decision based on the information they've been provided and if they they like you and think you've been you know forthright and you know easy to deal with uh that's that's the kind of person they want to deal with. so we we've always promote with our salespeople to do that and i hope in the market that what that what that does is it starts to take us more away from this archaic negotiating principle of buying a car and more into what's the right car for me and getting the car that I really liked uh, or I really wanted or the one that fit and fit my budget. Right. And, I, and the price shouldn't be a surprise either. You know, I, mean, I, know, I know Saturn tried to go that route of like the no negotiation kind of um, platform. Um, and I don't know that that necessarily worked for them considering where they are today or where they are not today, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, but I agree with you in the sense that, um, you know, people come in trying to negotiate no matter what, because it's the deal of a car. Um, and I don't think that the negotiation necessarily process should be lost in the purchase of a car, but at the same point, like you should know coming in what you're going to pay for it. And I think we talked about, I think on our, on our first show together, um, the introduction of services like unhaggle and how people are coming in going, no, this is exactly what I know I want to pay for the car and I want to walk out tomorrow or this afternoon or this evening having paid exactly that. And is that something like, do you deal with a lot of people who come in from an unhaggle or yeah. any services like that? We, we, uh, we, we pay for car cost Canada leads. Yeah. They, they charge yeah. us for those leads. I pay of course. 30 bucks for everyone who goes to car cost Canada and $25 who are for everyone who goes to unhaggle. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I actually have sat in the showroom with, with a, with a client who's been trying to negotiate something well below what our cost is and just suggested like, look, like I, I would love to help you. But I hope you understand that like it's not worth it to us, for us to sell it to you at a loss. And you can tell because they kind of sit there, keep trying to make you offers. And I think for, you know, again, reiterating right back to the, the same principle, like, you know, people, they just want to understand what they're looking at. And I think especially even understanding where our cost is and what they're getting for it. Yeah, that's important. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it, it starts to resonate. And for some customers, uh, you know, they may be very tough to get them to commit. You think the vehicle's perfect. They seem very interested. They want to buy it from you. Yeah. Uh, helping them understand price a little bit better is, is sometimes an obstacle. And I'll suggest that 
like to a salesman or my manager to say, hey, the, you know, tell the tell the tell her that, uh, you know, here's a website. When you go home tonight, go look at it. It'll it'll give you a great idea of what we're trying to offer you and what other dealers and their products are to offer you and you know where we're actually coming in at. Exactly. And, uh, I think it's I think it's I think it's for a lot of buyers they they're they're quite shocked to hear it and they're quite shocked to hear that like there's actually someone reporting price True Car in the states has done a you know a really big service they have, and they, yeah. they've actually I think they have a, a similar to Unhaggle. Like you can go into Unhaggle, see my cost, and you can if you, if you if you would like the best deal possible, you can submit that you'd like to buy the vehicle. You leave them a two hundred fifty dollar deposit that then is transferred as a deposit against the purchase price of the vehicle to the dealer that bids and wins your bid. You don't see what dealers they are. You just see which uh-huh. one offered you the price you want. And you go buy from them. Right. Yeah. So TrueCar does the same thing in the states, and you know it's a, it's an interesting practice. And I find more often than have not, they not have they not introduced themselves into Canada? Is that not a not thing that I'm aware of? They don't operate in Canada. Uh, they don't deal with the Canadian specs and pricing, although very similar to what sure. you get in the states. Uh, yeah. Percentage based markup, things like that. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, I think people just really want to, we, we focus less on, on price and, and trying to rationalize why they should pay our price and more on selling them, telling them what the vehicle does and why they might like that the Kia does this and that they get this in this level of packaging. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think just disclosure, helping educate people kind of like Best Buy, you know, you go into a Best Buy and they help you through it. BMW came out with an interesting thing. They had, they did a huge study and they called it future retail. Uh, and what they got out of it is that they needed to separate the sales process at the early stage. So if you go into any BMW dealership in Canada or the US right now, they have something called a BMW genius. The hmm. term is ripped off straight from yeah, Apple stores. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it's essentially someone who knows that product inside and out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they practice something called a second deliveries or an encore delivery. And uh, they, you know, consumers that are coming in and don't want to deal with a salesperson who would be trying to sell you a vehicle, not that their other salespeople should be doing that anyways. Uh, they're kind of test piloting hmm. just the very philosophy that we're talking about. So I think it's starting to get noticed in the automotive industry and you're starting to see more and more retailers do this. And I feel like the reason they're jumping you know, head first into this, this pool is uh, it works buyers respond to it and what we're all finding is that buyers don't respond to the if i could get you to buy today would you you know what do i got to do and all those kind of weird practices that you're really going about it in the wrong way you just have to help people and i find it's much much easier you create a less adversarial approach and at the end of the day you're creating customers who want to come back to you and they like the treatment and it's a comfortable environment no i i I think that a lot of uh, a lot of dealers would probably learn uh, a tremendous amount from your approach and kind of the, the the idea of transparency and being able to try to help people through a sales process versus trying to sell them on something is uh, I mean is both an admirable trait but also one that I think is indicative of the future of the industry and hopefully where people go in terms of like the sale of cars. Um, I we're just we're seeing so much online in terms of transparency. Um, and, uh, I guess both, you know, like transparency on cost, but also transparency on, uh, transparency on cost, but transparency on the sales process. Um, and as that progresses, I mean, who knows where that'll end up taking all of us and the way that that happens. I mean, I think that the, the sale of cars online to eliminate the need for a, a salesperson in the first place will, will probably be upon us before even the, the future of autonomous driving. And if that happens, I mean, 
there are a lot of models that have been able to successfully transition into that and outside of the automotive industry that might show that, you know, this is a good place to go. I don't, I don't think that it's, as I look at it, I mean, selfishly also, it's not the, it's not the, the be all and end all solution. Um, I think there's a, a ton of value in having people at a dealership that allow you to, to transactionally walk you through the process and walk you through exactly what you're paying and what you're paying. But the sale of it as well is something that that pressure, I think people are becoming more and more, um, you know, defensive towards and resistant to, and we're going to have to adapt to it. So yeah. you can, um, Hyundai and their Genesis brand that's recently parted are very interesting uh, to what you're just talking about now. Um, I believe now you can go on to the Genesis.ca website, or I, I'm not sure the, exactly the URL, but Hyundai's Genesis brand website, and you don't buy that car in the dealership. You buy it online. Mm-hmm. You can go into the dealership to test and touch and feel and see what you think of it. But ultimately you go online and you buy the car over a website, you pick your options, you pick your, your added services from the financial offices and you apply for credit online. And I believe you can do the entire process from an iPhone, including, uh, sign the paperwork and their process is a little different where you sign the paperwork all up front and then the car is delivered to your house off site, similar to the Tesla plan. So it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, some people, some, some brands are already starting to do it. And you know what I'm talking about, other dealers are doing this. It's, (coughs) it is starting to happen. And a lot of, you know, you know, definitely I find, uh, in, in the, in the, uh, employment market in the car business, there's, there's definitely a rift of these, these younger, uh, millennials they're, they're, they're trained less to be aggressive salespeople and they're forcing out this kind of older elbow patch salesy technique. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you have these, you have these guys that are younger and they're not hungry to sell cars. They're just enjoying what they're doing, enjoying the practice. They're not taking a butting head approach to meeting customers. And I think it's great. I think we're going to keep for consumers. It's going to, we're going to be more efficient. It'll end up ultimately lowering the employment cost in a dealership, which will ultimately lower the cost of doing business. Uh, it's also going to increase satisfaction levels. And I think one of the things that's been missing in our industry is enjoying the buying process. We've all been enjoying mm-hmm. the cars for a long time. Mm-hmm. The buying process has been something that it's tough to enjoy. Like no one really looks forward to going and buying a car for a long time. And it should be fun. It should be a fun process. Like when you think of like, I just bought a new pair of like Nike sneakers and I absolutely love the hell out of them. You know, that, that's that's the feeling you should get when you buy a car. But too often they go into a dealership and, and uh, you know, a, a family or an individual buy a car. And, you know, they, they feel left wondering if they should have got a better deal, wondering if they got the right car, wondering if they should have bought the one in stock instead of the one they wanted because the dealer just really pushed that on them. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not a when we when we try to push our culture as a business on them and take away from the retail experience, we're ruining it. So, you know, I'm 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 happy. I think it's gonna I think it's going to uh, in the in the end make an easier process, make it more cost efficient, clear, transparent, and the whole boot. Uh, it, it's, can only I love be- it. I mean, I, and I think, like I said, there's there's a lot to be learned from I think that approach and the evolution of what the dealer's role is in the sales process um, and how people end up actually, um, you know, working through that sales process to, to get to what is inevitably um, the much longer term relationship that most car buyers hold with a, with a dealer, which is the service relationship. And, you know, I think some of the data has shown that it's, I think it's less than 10%, it was much less than 10% of your overall vehicle ownership experience is at the purchase level. 
And the rest of that is all at the service level. And when you have to come back and service a vehicle, you want to go back to a place that you feel comfortable with and a place that you feel like you're going to be taken care of. You're not going to be taken advantage of. Um, There are a lot of um, areas there that I think that the industry in general can really step up and start to become much more like a lot of other industries that are out there today. And there are a lot Mm -hmm. of brands that are doing that really well. And I mean, I think, you know, self-serving again, I mean, Subaru is doing a really great job of that now. I think there are a lot of other manufacturers that are starting to do that even better. Um, and I, they must all be looking at what is the future that is upon us. And with that, I mean, uh, car buying is changing. Car ownership is changing. Um, and I'm excited to be part of that. I know you're excited to be part of that. But uh... that's it for part one of episode 22. So stick around for part two next week where Leaf and I do $15,000 used car battle. As usual, thanks so much for listening. Uh, Subscribe on iTunes. Check us out on Instagram. Follow us. Send us any questions that you have or any suggestions for future episodes. We love it all. So hang in there and uh, we'll see you next week.